It's the show after the show. This is the After 9 Podcast with Scott and Kat. Well, look at that. I'm I'm ready to go. And back we are, everyone. What's up, people? What's up, people? Vacation. <laughs> Vacation just, it just flies right by, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, it, it's weird because, hey, this summer flew by. We had three months of lockdown that felt like three years. Then we had two months of summer that felt like two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then when you take a vacation, a whole week feels like a couple of hours. It's brutal how weird time moves. But that's okay. We're back and ready to go. Did you have a good vacation? I had a really good vacation. Obviously, it was more of a staycation. I didn't go anywhere necessarily. I had people over. I went to go visit some friends, you know, like small trips to Toronto and uh, did a shopping trip out to a couple restaurants, that kind of thing. But it was it was nice just to kind of turn off the alarm clock, I think is really good. And I also stayed away from social media. I had to learn about things that happened during the week we were off via other people telling me. Like really? it, it was old school, like actual, like remember how you used to play telephone with friends? It was like that. I'd have to pretty much wait until someone said, oh, did you see what happened? This guy got shot. Or did you see what happened? The NBA canceled this. And I'm going, what's happening? Or did you see what happened? Uh, Chadwick Boseman died. Like, no, I didn't because I was staying off my devices. But of course, it always happens this way where the week where we're off, so many things happened. And yeah. yes, we would have loved to talk to you guys about it. But here we are now to do just that. Yeah. Uh, okay. <clears throat> so you brought up a couple of the things that I wanted to talk about. We'll start off with the NBA. I think these guys are a bunch of spoiled morons, personally. I, I think that they've taken, just my opinion, by the way, but I, I think that they took any goodwill that they had and basically squandered it. They were actually going to walk out on the season, which, by the way, um, would have been dumb because that takes away the entire platform that they have to affect change. So assuming that people actually do care what they think or that people are going to be on mass in the streets devastated that the NBA isn't going to finish the season because they're mad about social justice, um, the NBA has made incredible strides in promoting this cause, and they've worked with their players to try and affect change. And for the players to just turn around after all that and piss it away by saying, well, fine, we aren't going to play then and take their ball and go home rather than being out there trying to affect change and getting that messaging out there, I thought was ridiculous and good on Barack Obama. I mean, if it's true, the story is uh, Chris Paul and LeBron James and a few other people phoned Barack Obama and, and asked him for his advice on this. And Obama was qu- quite right to say, you need to keep playing because it's good for society, it's good for you, and that's your platform. I love how they if just you're call not Obama. on television, yeah. No, it's bizarre that LeBron <laughs> so James can crazy. just phone Barack yeah. Obama. Yeah. You know? Like, it's true, though. I mean, without that primetime TV spot, where does the message go out? Where did they think they were going to affect change if they'd just taken their ball and gone home? I, I thought it was a really stupid move by the players. Um to sit out as long as they did. And and I'm glad that they came to their senses. I'm glad Barack Obama, who was a great president, stood up and and guided them into doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Now they do continue to have that platform. And don't get me wrong. I get the frustration. But walking away is not going to affect the change that they want to see. So good on the NBA players for continuing to play. Uh, Chadwick Boseman died. 
Yeah, that was shock. That was a shock to uh, to me and to everybody. I shouldn't say to me I, personally. I didn't know he had cancer. Nobody did. Uh, I mean, I shouldn't say nobody, but he kept it very, very quiet. It was a private four year battle. He had colon cancer, and it's it's interesting because I'm not even a big I'm not even a big like m- action hero movie junkie. I'm really not. Batman's the only thing I've ever really been interested in and ever really watch. So I still haven't even seen Black Panther. But I knew who Chadwick Boseman was. And he was in, by the way, he was in many, many other movies, not just that. In fact, a lot of blockbusters, I think in the same year or or over a two-year span. It was pretty incredible. But I do remember him getting emotional a couple of times because he, he was very active in charities, especially involving children and especially involving cancer. And now that you know that he had, he had suffered through this for four years and seeing the good that he did in his last few years, I think is pretty incredible um, because he was able to push his, like put his own stuff aside. He didn't want to make it publicly known. He didn't want the pity party. He wanted to just help other people. And now we're hearing all kinds of stories, too, about how he helped um, other actors um, to to get through acting classes and things like that that he had met on set of films. Denzel Washington recently told a story about that. So anyway, what a, just an all-around really good dude. Passed away far too young, 43. Um, and I'm, I feel like we're seeing so much more of this, so much of this. I shouldn't say so much more. I mean, I, I know it's always there. It's cancer. Like, fuck cancer. It's, it's everywhere. But it's... Uh, it's a shame. It's taking people, I feel like, younger and younger, you know? Yeah. Uh, the expression is true. Fuck cancer. Yeah. It, it just keeps taking away way too many people. Um, right now, there's a huge emphasis on uh, disease prevention and treatment because of the coronavirus. I really hope that the cancer research that was being done pre-pandemic has not been sidelined because we're on such a mad dash to find a vaccine for COVID-19. I really hope that research continues. And, uh, you know, anytime somebody notable passes away from cancer, you start to hear that narrative again. You know, there's a cure. There is a cure. They just don't want us to have it because it it costs uh, uh, or it makes more money for the drug companies if they're selling chemo as opposed to a vaccine or a, a proper treatment or a cure. I don't know if that's true or not. I, I have to think that we are further along than we are, but I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things that just can't be beat. I, I'm really not sure. Yeah, it's interesting the conversations you can get into with people, and you mentioned that kind of conspiracy theory-ish um, you know, dialogue that gets brought up when you talk about it. And I was... It comes from the right place, though. People are angry when we lose another star. Well, I heard I heard an interesting one because I was I was drinking when the news came out, and someone, as I told you, I wasn't I wasn't on my phone at all. And then someone told me at the party um, that I was at. I shouldn't say it wasn't a rager, everyone. It was bubble people. But anyway, they said, "Oh my God, Chadwick Boseman passed away," and we started to get on this conversation of cancer. And someone who I know's theory about it is that. Yes, the way that we live now probably affects how many of us have cancer. And the theory they have is, and I, I say this, I, I say they, they're a pr- very smart person, but they say everybody has cancer in one way or another. Maybe not everybody, but everybody eventually will have cancer. It's a matter of where it grows, if it affects you to the point where you need to get it tested or figured out what you have, and then you find it. Mm. Which is interesting. I mean, may, and maybe uh. there's something to it that a lot of people do, right? But until you find it or until you know it, if it's not progressive and it just sits in your body, which we've seen happen before where people go get tested and God knows how long it's been in there. Because cancer know, isn't a, a negative thing. Like, it, it's a very healthy cell. And if it just kind of sits there, it doesn't might not affect you in one way or another. I just thought it was an interesting, again, theory. Is there any science behind it? Not necessarily at all. No. But um, interesting theory anyway. I just... 
I don't understand how there's some people out there who are perfectly healthy and do all the right things and they don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't eat red meat, those big three that we've all been told to avoid to live a healthier lifestyle and to have a better chance of not getting cancer. I don't understand how some perfectly healthy people that do everything right end up with very aggressive cancer. And then there's some people who drink and smoke and eat a steak every day and do all the wrong things and live to 110 years old. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand it. It makes me think there has to be more to it than just those simple things that we should avoid. I don't know if it's something that's airborne that triggers it, if it's genetic or what it is, but I'd really like to understand more about cancer. And, you know, the good thing that comes from the death of Chadwick Boseman is more and more people now will be, it'll reignite their passion for let's find a cure for cancer because more people die from cancer than so many other things that get way more attention. And it's a shitty way to die. Yeah, yeah. I've watched so many people, family members, pass yeah. away from cancer over the years. And it's a terrible quality of life at the end. And it's very, very frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. And getting checked. I think I think one of the key messages there, too, it would be to find early. The earlier you find it, the better your chances with a lot of them, especially certain kinds of cancers, um, so that you don't find it. And it's stage four. And then there you go. You're handed this uh, terminal you know, sentence basically. And your life is only a few years left. It's, it's shit. But anyway, uh, fuck cancer. We've all experienced it, whether it's someone we know that we're close with our family members or ourselves. And if you fought it, good on you. I'm having a real personal dilemma right now. And it has to do with the statue of Canada's first prime minister, Sir John A. Macdonald, that was decapitated in Montreal on the weekend. Right. And the reason I'm having conflict with this is because, A, I think that there's a lot of people who are just piling on. They just want to be woke or part of something, and they don't fully understand the history of our country or of Sir Johnny McDonald. And these people are all about it. Yeah, yeah, rip that fucking thing down, blah, blah, blah. And there's people who don't understand why we have statues to Sir Johnny McDonald. There's people who believe he was racist and that he was a colonist and things like that. And, and you know, I'm not here to say you're right and I'm not here to say you're wrong, but I am really trying to avoid having this debate with people because when it comes to ripping down our statues – and this is such an American thing that I can't figure out why it came to Canada. We didn't have um, the type of polarization here that America has had for a long time, but it's rapidly infecting Canada. And that's why things like statues are being torn down. Uh, I was just watching the news this morning and I don't know the full details of it because I can only see the picture. We don't have the audio of the news on in our studio, but somebody decapitated a statue of the Virgin Mary outside a Catholic church. Oh, well, what's the point of that really? You know, and that's the thing. I mean, Listen, if you've got a serious concern about Sir John A. Macdonald, if you just, for whatever reason, woke up at the end of August 2020 realizing the history of our country and of Sir John A. Macdonald, and it took you until now to figure it out, and you're that outraged instantly that you want to pull down and deface a statue, I'm going to ask that you just stop and take a second and ask yourself, why now? Why? 
And, and maybe you feel like, oh, we can't go another day with that statue up. But I would encourage you to probably go through the proper channels. Maybe it's time that we had a serious conversation about our history as a country. It's not that long. We don't have a very long history in this country. It won't take that long to go over it. But if you want to talk about residential schools and you want to talk about slavery and racism in general, absolutely, we can have that conversation. But deciding to arbitrarily pull down a statue like that is wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay. You don't have the right Mm -hmm. to pull that down. No matter how much you feel you personally have been affected by it. Right. You don't have the right to do that. A lot of We're are- talking about a, 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 a an elected prime minister of this country, elected with a pretty substantial amount of people back in the day. He was elected, and if you take him down, you take down our history as well, and maybe we should. That's fine, but we need to have a conversation about that. You can't just decide, you know what? Fuck that statue of John A. McDonald. I'm going to take it down. And as part of a protest over defunding the police. So I'm going to say something that I've never said before because I don't believe it. It is time to defund the police. And let me be specific. It's time to defund the police of Montreal because they stood there and watched those protesters vandalize that statue in broad daylight and did nothing about it. If you're not going to do your job, we might as well defund you. I really don't understand what those cops were thinking, not getting involved. And maybe they were told from from headquarters, you know what, just let them do it. We'll clean it up later. We don't want a confrontation. Maybe that's all it was. But if the cops are going to stand there and just let people break the law, maybe we should defund them. Because they're not doing what we hired them to do I, in the I, first I, place. I was assuming that I was under the assumption that they definitely were told, do not do anything, because we don't know how radical these people are who are going out of their way. Because think about how angry you have to be. I mean, you made a point there about them being angry. You have to be a certain level of of angry as fuck. And maybe you're not thinking, or maybe you thought this out for a while. Maybe you had planned this. Maybe it was it happened really quick. Whatever it is, you're angry and your intent is negative. So to take that out on people around you, it's not worth it to sit there and try to push someone back just to what? Maybe possibly get stabbed or shot. Uh, God knows what could have happened. So I, I don't blame them there. I, I think that there's a there's a voting process for this in a lot of places. Close to here where we are, they had a vote to put away a statue. That's what it was, is to put it away so that there weren't any, there was not vandalism, but there is going to be a vote on whether it stays or not. But for the time being, it will remain in a storage facility. Uh, Like that to me seems a little more fair because at least you don't run the risk of someone trying to decapitate it or act all crazy on it. And also, you have a fair process to decide whether or not you keep it there or not. Right. You know what? Maybe we need to do a better job at teaching history in schools. Maybe we do uh, Canadian history specifically because, I mean, I took my Canadian history in school, too. And while I can tell you the basics of the rebellion of 1837, there's not a lot much beyond that. Really, maybe we need to do a better job of learning about our past prime ministers in the same way that Americans learn about their past presidents. And if you actually do the work and research it and find uh, that we're not judging john a in 2020 standards uh for his past actions and and you still feel outraged by it okay then we can begin that conversation and and maybe it will lead to the eventual removal but i have a feeling that this is a decision that should be thought out and and you know what if we temporarily put it away while we have that conversation yeah i'm even okay with that but you can't just arbitrarily rip these statues down because you personally 
disagree with it. And by the way, it's been there for years, years. Those statues have been up just now. You realize the history of it. I don't understand it. It seems like it's part of uh, a radical movement. To be honest with you, when it gets to the point where we're going to start defacing public property and I, I just can't get behind it right or wrong on the John A. McDonald thing. I just don't think people have a right to arbitrarily decide, you know what? Fuck that. I don't like it. There's a lot of things I don't like in my town. I, I can't just go and rip them out of City Hall, though. It doesn't work yeah. that way. That's kind of a culture thing, too, right? That's a yeah, there's a certain there's some people who do feel that way, who do think that way. And you know, as long as they're charged appropriately, if that's the case. They weren't even arrested. But that's the problem, right? Yeah, there's not a lot of good from that story, really. But it shows the divide in this country, too. I mean, uh, I don't know if he's just being an antagonist or if he's genuinely serious, but Jason Kenney is the premier of Alberta, and his commentary on it was, well, since the people of Montreal don't seem to want it, send it to Alberta. We'll put it on the front lawn of the Alberta legislature. Oh, well, that's going to be divisive, isn't it? (laughs) But that's the kind of divide that we have in this country right now. And and let's have the debate. I'm all for it. I just can't get behind defacing property like that. Uh, Hey, we're down to the final week of summer vacation. Teachers are going back to school this week to get their classrooms ready for next week. And the back to school plan is... Uh, fluid situation it seems to be evolving regularly and as more and more administrators and teachers get into the physical buildings themselves i think they're realizing more and more about the challenges of going back to school next week and not everybody is going back next tuesday it's going to be a staggered entry in some schools Mm -hmm. and depending on your last name or your grade you might go on a different day it might only be one day next week and you know there's a lot of parents that are like well can we just fucking get on with it i got to get back to work yeah and i get it i i totally do but i also understand the need to make it safe and uh, i got a tour last week on my off day of what a portable should look like and what a classroom (laughs) should look like. I don't think a portable should ever exist to begin with, but here we are. (laughs) Well, you know, a portable is a means to an end. It's uh, the numbers that you have in your school district right now are going to fluctuate like crazy. And uh, I'll use, um, let's say, Toronto. There are some schools that probably had portables like on top of portables back in the day. And now they might have a total enrollment of 400 kids under capacity. And that's because people move in and out of different regions. And it doesn't make sense to expand the building per se, Mm -hmm. which is much more expensive than the temporary solution of a portable. So I get it. I do. uh, If I were sending my kid back to school, I'd be like, come on, portable. Because they aren't attached to the ventilation system of the main building. You're sharing air with 30 different people or 15 different people as opposed to seven, eight, nine hundred people. So I'm okay with the portables. And, and I know that there's some who don't want their kids in them. I think it's a good idea. But I do like what they're doing for distancing. They're getting really, really creative. The one that I saw had all of the different desks and tables that they have angled out on the wall. And they angled it. So that one would go, say, northeast and one would go southeast. And that was allowed them to keep the the distance between the students, which was good. I saw a classroom where all of the desks and tables were facing the wall. That's the same premise as 
the plexiglass shield that you see at just about every business right now. If kids expel droplets and they happen to be infected, those droplets are going to hit the wall instead of going into the air and in potentially infecting other students. I think it's really neat the progress they've made in yeah. a fairly short amount of time. Yeah, it is. You have to be creative. And that's one of the things I talked to um, a couple of my friends about. I have a lot of I have a couple ECE um, friends and I also have a couple kindergarten teachers. So on the younger scale of things, it's difficult because they don't have seating like they do in the classroom. It's not like you're coming in, you're sitting at your seat, put your stuff down, you stay in your little in your chair and your desk. Not the case for kids, as we know, but man, they have to get creative and they had to get rid of stuff from the classroom, which makes you sad to think about. Um, they're, they're deciding to, to keep books in, but it's not a shared book space. Whereas last year, for example, you would have a little book library and all the kids could go free time, pick whatever book you want, share your book, read your book with your friends. It's not like that anymore. The teachers have the books. Um, they sanitize the books and they hand out two to three per child. They get to keep it for, um, let's say, a week or two weeks. Then they have to return the book, kind of like a library system, in a bag. The teacher ten- then takes it out when all the kids are away. They sanitize the books. So little things like that have changed a lot. The learning areas, the play areas have changed. Um, it, they can't help. Ser- like They're wondering now about helping to serve the kids food. That's a really interesting one because in a lot of cases when you're a teeny tiny human, you can't open your thermos and you have need you need a lot of help to open anything, really any packaging and the teachers there to do it. So they're trying to find creative safe and clean ways to work that so that they are able to help the kids do it. So it's in, I mean at the least teachers you're being challenged more than you ever have, but a lot of my friends their main concern is they're not so much a teacher this year. They're more just trying to get through the day because it's very difficult to be able to teach kids, um, especially young ones, right? They don't read on their own. They need your help. They need your assistance all the time. Um, so kids in the younger grades, I feel like that's going to be a difficult spot for teachers there, where it's, at least in high school, you can say to them, you know what, you're going to read this. This is what you're going to do. And they have the independence and the ability to do it. So I don't know. I know it's a challenge for everybody across the board, but at least you're being challenged in your job, huh? No? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's uh, interesting. You know what? There's, there's, we all know there's two different types of teachers. <clears throat> there are those who consider it a vocation and a great opportunity to teach their knowledge to the generation that comes after them. And they believe in what they do and they care so much and they put in the extra work and they spend money out of their own pockets. And, and they do all the right things to make it a great experience in school. Then there's another group of teachers. These are the ones that fucked off in the spring and did nothing Mm -hmm. when it came to distance learning. In fact, they didn't even know how to use Zoom and still have no interest in learning. They're the ones who are just going to be waiting for the bell and they're out of there. They show up right before work. They generally don't care. They don't put a lot of effort into it. They use their planning time, not for planning out an education lesson, but mainly to do a little online shopping or socializing. Like We know that there's some who really care and some who don't. And I'm really, really hoping for people right now that are still nervous about sending their kids back that your teacher is one of the good ones Mm -hmm. that you get one of those ones that really cares and is up to speed on the virus and and doing common sense things because there's going to be things a month from now that come up 
where teachers have to think on their on the fly and make a decision about what's the safest way to do this. There's no amount of pre-planning that can take into account every, for instance, or every what if. And teachers who can think on the fly and can realize, oh, shit, this is normally the time where we do uh, this particular lesson, which is typically hands-on. How can I do this and make it safe? And maybe they collaborate with each other or get advice from their administrators, whatever. Either way, I'd like to think that health and safety is going to be first and foremost. The bus plan really worries me, though. Man, I mean, Mm -hmm. if I had a kid in school right now, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'd be sending them back to school, but I don't know if I'd be sending them on the bus. I really think that parents really need to ask themselves, is it mandatory? And for some people, it is. Yeah, you have no other choice. You can't drive them and they can't walk it. So they've got to take a bus. But there's some people who take the bus just because the bus is there. Maybe it's not the best idea this year to do that. Yeah, and that's exactly what it goes back to what we've been saying, where you really have to pick and decide what's best for you and your family. If that's the part that makes you the most insecure, try your best to do something about it. And I know it's not easy for everybody, but I hope that there's a lot of flexible workplaces that are able to say, okay, look, I know that if you were just came in 15 to 20 minutes later, you have the opportunity to drop your kid off to school you know what let's make this happen let's figure something out because i i get it the bus thing i i'm with you i'm not sure how they're gonna make that work i really am not well and the buses are they're private companies this is a business whoever owns that busing company and it's almost like they've been told it's okay to break the the public health guidelines that we've all spent months drilling into our own heads six feet apart and blah 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 We basically, just because of need, we don't have enough drivers, we don't have enough buses to distance everybody. They've basically been told, yeah, it's okay to let three primary kids all share one seat on a bus. That would never be allowed in any other circumstance, Mm -hmm. except for in this one, because we really don't have another choice, and there's too many parents who don't have another alternative to get their kids to school one thing that i do find kind of ironic about this is part of the reason kids are going back to school next week is during the pandemic it was pointed out by many kids are missing the social aspect of school they need to be with their friends and so on and so forth and yet one of the major things that they're doing to make school safe is not letting them hang out with their friends these cohorts they're okay, but there's going to be a lot of kids separated from people that they would otherwise be with. Even at recess, there's there's principals and vice principals and, and custodians all across the country outside with cans of spray paint this week, spray painting zones on the grass and on the pavement. And your cohort, maybe your cohort is your grade three class and a grade two class. You have to stay in your zone. And in some cases, we're talking about like 20 feet by 20 feet. It's not a lot of area in some cases, depending on how much real estate the school has to work with. And on top of that, outside of school, because right now you'll have a bubble, right? Maybe your kids are in a bubble. Your kids are in a bubble with your with their cousins and you got a couple of neighbors they're close with, but they're not a part of that school cohort. So I have a couple of friends who are like, you know what? Sorry, but this is the end of our, our kids being able to hang out together because they're going into a cohort. And I don't know who those kids are, where they come from. I'm just hoping for the best, but I don't want to mix and mingle with 
with the family even if I, if I can avoid people being sick in my family. So they're basically going back into isolation and the only bubble they have is that cohort. And that's another thing to take into consideration because like you said, it's their best friends might not be in their cohort. They're going to have to make some new ones. They're, they might not be able to see their, you know, their cousins or their other friends that they usually play with. But each family will decide what's best for them. I get it, and I know they're still going to be mixing and mingling outside of that cohort, but that's where it gets kind of tricky. We'll see. If everybody well, follows the rules, it'll be okay, but I don't see that happening. The oh, I, And that's the thing, right? I mean, the biggest flaw in this entire plan is we have to trust other parents. We have to trust that we're doing the right things or we know we're doing the right things. You have to trust that other people are, that they're not sending their kids to school sick, that they are maintaining those cohorts. And in some cases, I don't even know if it's possible, i.e. your kid can be part of a cohort at school and they they stay in it and it's all good. But what happens at night when they go to dance or when they go to hockey or karate or whatever, and then they start mixing with other cohorts, in some cases from other schools? Mm-hmm. Then the whole the whole system is shot. I don't know how they're going to do this. Um, I, I think a lot of it's going to have to uh, just throw your hands up and say, please, God, let this work, because uh, I think the last thing that people want is for kids to start in school. And then get shut down again, particularly if there's not even a full blown second wave. There's just a rash of infections because uh, people aren't doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. It's frustrating. Uh, How are we for time here? Because there's a couple of dumb stories, but we can defer those to tomorrow. Uh, We're at 30 right now. 30 minutes. Okay. Tell you what. Tomorrow on the After 9 podcast. We're going to talk about Kat's new speakeasy that she built because we can go a little more in-depth on that. Mm -hmm. I lied this weekend, and it created a bit of an Instagram stir. Uh, We're going to talk about the stupid amount of things that they're trying to make virtual that should never be virtual, (laughs) i.e. the Texas State Fair. That's going virtual, too. It's the worst, isn't it? The tech, uh, what they tried to do the CNE virtually this year, fuck off. That's stupid. (laughs) Uh, and, And now the State Fair of Texas is going virtual, and they're going to do a drive-through for their food. Hey, I love the food building at the X. It's great. You can get some cool shit there. But in Texas, that's where a lot of these dumb ideas come from, like sausage on a stick and deep-fried Oreos, the cronut, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. It probably originated in America and probably in the South. Now they're going to drive through that shit. Okay, what's going to happen here? When somebody goes and eats a cronut through the drive-thru at the state fair, because I don't know if you're going to be able to make it all the way back to your place before you start shitting your pants. You're taking a real <laughs> risk. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like You be careful what you wish for because uh, I don't like the idea of it. Um, one more thing. Bush Beer is going to be making, or they are making now, a dog brew. It's a non-alcoholic beer with lots of nutrients for a dog. So you can actually... Crack a beer and crack one for your dog and let them eat it or drink it. Are you in? Would Leo like to have a beer? I don't know if Leo would like it or not. That's a good question. I think um, I think I'd be down for him trying it if it was in my lap, like just given to me. You know what I mean? But I wouldn't go out of my way to buy it. It sounds terrible. Yeah. It's a bone-in pork butt, whole corn, celery, basil, mint, turmeric, and ginger all blended together 
It tastes similar to a beer, but it's meant for dogs. People can drink it, too. There's nothing in here that people can't drink. It's just specifically designed to appeal to dogs. And so I used to watch sports with my dog all the time. Him and I would sit and watch the the U.S. Open, or we would sit and watch the Leaf game. And I would more often than not have a beer in my hand. I wonder if the dog would ever think to himself, hmm, I'm watching sports. We're having a boys' day here. Fuck, I'd like a beer. Because I could just open a beer for him. But it also sounds terrible. So I, I don't know if it's a good idea or not. Believe it or not, though, they're sold out on the Bush website. You have to sign up for the waiting list for them to release another batch. They sell them in four packs, by the way. You can find the link to that and more great stories at scottandcat.ca. And we will be back tomorrow with another brand new edition of After 9. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.